0: by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn about us at zencare.org Good evening bodhisattvas. So happy to be here with you on this very auspicious night. The beginning of our 90-day practice period. And we're here broadcasting from the Zen Center here in Chelsea. And it's so sweet to have some folks here, Sangha members here, friends here, and all of us all together. And during this whole time we've been really reflecting on, you know, the Zendo and the Zoom Do and the Wondo. And to me, the practice periods have been happening for about 2600 years since the time of the buddha where twice a year the community would gather and many of them would not be see each other at all during the times when practice periods were not happening so these commit to sit times are committing to sit together to really actually appreciate what does it mean to really sit together. Many people think that this practice is about how it's going for you, but it actually is completely missing the point. So I want to really encourage you during this practice period to really reflect on how can I practice for this time and for the time beyond all of us. So in this practice period we have the honor of using a study text of Shindo Yama Roshi, the first woman to be appointed as a director of Sojiji, which is one of the two main temples. Actually this image here is the image of our of Shojiji. And I just want to talk about one line from her text that we'll be looking at this week. Because for me, if we don't really understand what our practice is about and realize it's actually about impact and relationship, we're really missing, in many ways, the heart of it all. yamaroshi says, people walk about totally unaware that their faces and bodies reveal everything about the way they have lived. Such nakedness can be embarrassing, even... Frightening. People walk about totally unaware. This is before cell phones. Totally unaware that their faces and bodies reveal such nakedness can be embarrassing, even frightening. To me, the heart of this practice is really developing a capacity for that healthy embarrassment. To realize what a big deal we make about everything and trying to hide what we actually are like in subtle and not subtle ways. And the whole point of practicing together in this practice period, is actually realizing that I matter and you matter and the depth of my practice is how I'm in relationship with you. Because in many ways, I think that what she's talking about is so ordinary. Like when you pass someone on the street or on a neighbor or even on Zoom, you can feel who's really there and who's really not. It is not that mysterious. You can feel who's kind of somewhere behind their eyes. You can feel who's kind of holding back. It's actually not a mysterious power. But when we're actually aware and actually in our body and present it's very clear and it's not really a judgment about anything it's just the way it is and it's so amazing that so many people think that they hide well as if that's in a badge Some of you know some things about my life, and for many years I was so busy trying to be liked all the time. I was smiling all the time, but it had a very kind of falseness to my cheeks. A little situation here. <laughs> and I was sure that no one understood or would actually know me. I was so sure that the struggles that I had gone through were not possible to understand. And if anyone even knew them, that it would be bad. I would be exiled, I would be ex- disliked. I didn't actually feel at home anywhere. In particular, in my own body, in my own step. Hmm. And I remember when I was 19 years old walking down the street, and I've written about this, but it just was coming to me the other day, that my friend Liz turned to me. We were going for a walk down some random street. And just, she just turned to me and held my shoulders and she said, you are so sad. And I remember feeling so shocked. So those of you not in New York, this is our mindfulness bell. Here we get to hear the bodhisattva activity of firefighters and Ambulance workers attending. Some people find it annoying. I find it glorious. Because there are so few places in this world where people are responding like that. There are so many places in this world where that response doesn't happen. So many places and so many communities and so many families that don't know how to respond with compassion and attention. So many friendships where we don't know how to actually just say, wow, you're hurting. Can I sit with you? So this is what my friend Liz did. She just held my shoulders and just said, you are so sad. And there was something about the declaration of it and not the question of it, oh, you seem sad, or she actually saw me. And what was frightening was that she saw me. I felt naked and embarrassed. And I feel like in many ways she was the first person to see that part of me and say it, to be that kind. To me, it's like the model of what a good spiritual friend does. Hmm. And it was really the beginning of a really, hmm. So many trucks. So it kind of reminds me of the world we're in right now. Eight days since the shooting and the murder of all those children. Ongoing hatred, racism and anti-Semitism, and trans and homophobia. invasions of countries, the disappearance of our Arctic regions. So that those sirens to me evoke all of So to me it's also the importance of the practice. So there I was still standing in that street with Liz and Feeling like that moment, I actually felt my whole life had, was changing. Because she could be a good spiritual friend to me. Because like, what we're doing all together here is coming together to practice the importance of showing up. Not just for yourself. And to me, it's actually allowing myself and ourselves to be in that embarrassing nakedness and to feel what's frightening and not run away. You know, in that time on that street, I, I realized, because you know, i had been practicing, and I thought like really intense, you know, for a couple of years at that time, doing a bunch of sessions or just these, the heart and mind collecting itself, these traditional Zen retreats, and I thought like I was pretty kind of badass. Mm-hmm. So I thought. As one thinks at 19. (laughs) But it just, in that moment, standing on that street and there was all of these oak trees for some reason, the clarity of how do I get real in my practice? that I did not want to be anymore this person who was just telling stories about what I was, to myself, primarily, and then everybody else. And it really felt like this dichotomy. Mm -hmm. So it's a move by Yamaroshi, when she sang people walk about totally unaware that our bodies and faces reveal everything so clear. And what how did it happen that we made, you know, being authentic and really rooted in our experience, embarrassing. And almost as a bad thing, a shameful thing. When, uh, and this is, for those of you who are reading, you'll also remember that in the book, you know, there's this story about when she was very young, her aunt took her to a Buddhist temple. And when she was five, and she just had this very powerful experience just standing in front of this statue of Amitabha Buddha. And she was saying that there's something that happened in that moment in this pure land temple. (laughs) That she felt that no longer was she alone. I mean, what a powerful glimpse. You know, and as a child, she was, you know, trained in many of the traditional Japanese arts of both zazen and tea ceremony and flower arranging and calligraphy. But those practices are really just different ways to enter the Dharma more fully. They're not just an activity. To me, it's so wonderful to have that whole range of practice because the Dharma practice itself and the opportunity for all of us is that, how do you find your expression in everything you do? And so what if someone sees you? to hear the sirens continuing. It's really such an auspicious time of some fire or terrible accident in the beginning of our time together in this practice period. And during high school, Ayamaroshi, you know, she studied, but she would kept staying clear about her path. And her dream was to ordain as a Soto Zen nun, not in the tradition she grew up in. And so I always feel like it's so sweet to think about her because I think many of us come to this practice from different traditions. And how do you appreciate and not try to hide that, but to appreciate where you are? I did another one of those things where I wrote a lot of notes. and I don't care about any of them again. Because mm-hmm. really what's the most important are not notes. but how you respond. How do you respond to this really precious time? I was talking with our Shuso today and that this time also is not new. We were talking about the time of Guishan, one of our ancestors in China, and how he, for much of his life, had to ha- live in hiding because Buddhism was being persecuted at that time. And, you know, overturning of people's rights and abilities to be have respect and dignity. That we're not in a new moment, we're in another human time, and how you choose to respond to it with transparency and clarity. So I did want to share with you this letter that Shundo Ayama wrote recently. And our friend, Gyoke Yokoyama, translated it and shared it with our sangha when he came. I really wanted to share it with you. So as some of you know, she's quite elderly at this time and quite sick. And so, this is her letter to young monastics, young practitioners like all of you. I always think of young as not dead. <laughs> no one on the screen or in here is dead yet. <laughs> young. Last fall, Gikai Roshi kindly asked me several times to consider assuming the position of Sado, And I shamelessly accepted the offer despite where I was standing. For the last several years, I've suffered serious illnesses multiple times. Also, being at the age of 90, I feel ashamed and humbled when I think about how I could be useful when there is so little I actually can do because of my health. Dr. Kyu Ki Ota, professor of Komazawa University, where many Soto Zen teachers train, known for his study on Yogacara, once said, Buddhism talks about cause and effect, but we can only have our say in relation to the cause. We cannot have our say regarding the effects. All we can do is to accumulate good causes according to the guidance of good teachers. Following his advice without asking myself about the effect, I have been telling myself to do whatever I can as a practice of gratitude. Imagine that as an instruction. Who knows what's going to happen? We don't know. Blessed with this life, through the serious illness and my age, I find each occasion of conveying my message as my will to the young practitioners deeply touches my heart. Shakyamuni Buddha awakened to the universal and eternal truth over 2,500 years ago. Countless number of sages and ancestral teachers attained the teachings through body and mind giving their whole life to the way. And transmitted it through their character and personality, all the way to right where we are today. I sincerely wish that this light of Buddha Dharma will remain undistorted and strong in today's Japan. And then she ends with a poem. The flame of the Dharma you have lit, humbly and respectfully, I transmit to the next generation. To me, there's something so interesting about the cause and effect. And if we really think about how we're going to be moving together through these 90 days, I also think it's important to appreciate the effect, like I did on that street with the oak trees, being held by my shoulders. I felt entrusted with reality. And I feel like what Oyama Roshi is asking us and encouraging us, because we're not dead, to practice with gratitude. I hear very often about like, oh, it's too late for me. I hear that a lot it's too hard I hear that a lot it's difficult I hear that a lot how strange it is how we feed that parts of ourselves so much What would it be like to give your whole life to practice? One of the things that I've always loved about Soto Zen is that it sees everything as a place of practice. So giving your whole life to practice is saying everything. There's not one moment that's not included and we sometimes just feed our reactivity or all of that. And just today, as I was just remembering that moment on that street, feeling a real sorrow for that part of me that felt like I had to hide for so long. And how many of us still feel that we have to hide. But it's really when we're completely orienting ourselves around ourselves. How's it going for me? What am I going to get out of it? How am I doing? It's like giving yourself little scraps. And as Dogen Senji talks about that, the supreme meal is always available. So every time we say, "It's oh, it's hard, Mm. ever do that? It's not comfortable, I don't want to... It's like every time we do that, we just like feed Mara a little bit more. Mara being that kind of personification of greed, resentment, and delusion. Every time we feed that, it just gets bigger and bigger. And to me, and every time I do that, I also move away from actually experiencing my own sit bones, my own breath, which, of course, is just the point of contact with the breath of the world. Right now it's raining here in New York. The sound is so beautiful. Shh. How many times have you actually stopped to listen? I had a moment there where I was thinking like, oh, I wore flip-flops today. (laughs) It's so amazing. Like these like moments when you like leave your experience, right? Anyone else ever do that? one person. The rest of you are always where you are. But actually, it's really like those moments themselves. Like really having the acuity of attention to actually notice, oh, I just left for a little moment. And now I'm back. To me, that is what the bodhisattva activity is. It's easy to say, oh, I want to be helpful. I want to go and do stuff. I've met many people who do things. And I've met so few people who are actually there. So how do we appreciate that all of us have decided to do this? That there's some light, some kind of understanding of an aspiration. That we have this incredible group of teachers all practicing the way and all practicing in their expression, which is really the heart that we've always valued here at the New York Zen Center. We're not interested in anyone being like anybody other than your expression. And to me, it's about how do you, as that beautiful quote that she quotes is saying, we can only have our say in relation to the cause. How do you actually use this practice period to really look at the causes and the conditions that actually are truly supportive and nourishing? And how do we become active participants and actually with those causes? So that actually that I'm supporting you and you're in the cause and we support each other. To me is the crucial part of equanimity. To me, equanimity also just doesn't happen alone. Okay, oh, I just want to get it going here. I'm going to get clear. And I will be balanced as long as you leave me alone. And as long as you do as I say. As long as the conditions favor the things I like. How do you find what's most meaningful to you? But not the thing that like, the kind of ice cream you like, which you know, has its own place, but actually what truly nourishes what you actually value and what matters most. We so rarely focus on, are my thoughts, words, and actions actually nourishing what I truly believe matters most? We have this habit of just kind of like, like just doing whatever. And to me, what's so amazing about this practice is that we can actually say, all right, how am I doing? Well, I'm like really out there right now. I'm like buzzing around. And I can actually return. And to me, how we do that is everything. To me, it's like you have to bring ourselves back like Liz, like holding both shoulders and say, hello, I see you. There's a wonderful koan that says, you know, a bunch of devils come out of of hell with a cart and they invite you to jump in what do you say that's the end of the koan to me it's so pointing to this same juicy question what do you do when all of your distractions and your habits of like oh it's hard you know when the big baby comes out and how do you not attend to that by just giving into it to me this is like oyama roshi's her wish she says my sincere wish is that this light of buddha dharma will remain undistorted and strong and so to me, it's like, that is a cause that we can work with. How are we being distorted? And to me, it's a very joyful and interesting place. It's like, how am I, is my thinking distorted right now? How are my words distorted right now? How are my actions distorted right now? Are they really aligned? with what I really believe matters most? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's such a wonderful question. But again, the the attitude in which we ask that question is essential. I mean, again, it's like, hold in the shoulders, what's real, what matters most, where are you, where am I? Hmm. How do we together remain undistorted? Hmm. You know, these days, it's very easy, as it has been as far as we know, since the beginning of time. To get really caught into our view, what we think is right and what we think is wrong. How someone else is behaving, whether we like it or we don't like it acceptable not acceptable to me that's tends to be a place of incredible distortion mm-hmm. We're missing such an important point in that moment. (laughs) Chodo and I sometimes watch a little TV. I mean, I watch very little because I fall asleep, but (laughs) we're watching about dinosaurs, really excited about dinosaurs. And it was so great because the, the rain here reminds me of that, is that the rain, you know, is, which is one of the beautiful images of the Dharma, raining on everything. It doesn't have an opinion of like, no, I'm not going to rain on that poop over there. I'm going to rain on just the pretty, pretty flower. It's like such a beautiful attitude, the Dharma rain. I was thinking about, you know, they showed this scene where the rain was on the Tyrannosaurus Rex and the little plants and everything. And here it's raining on the fire, raining on the fire trucks. Raining on us all. Toyama Roshi says, the flame of the dharma you have lit humbly and respectfully. So that has happened for all of us in different ways to bring us here together now. It's amazing. It's actually extraordinary that this group has decided to do this. Something brought you here. And what is your vow? So I wanna encourage you to think about a vow for this practice period. How will you work with your causes so that you can close your gap, even a little tiny bit? where your thoughts, words, and actions are closer to what truly matters most? What is it that would actually support you? So as we move through our 90 days together, which is so short, it was often in the rainy season so how will you do that and to me it's about how do you really make a vow and really keep it and to me the only way to keep a vow is to realize that you're going to break it constantly if it's real Instead of a fantasy, but to just notice it with like as much acuity of attention as possible. So you notice just kind of like when I was thinking about what's for dinner or, you know, my flip flops. Who cares? I'm not there right now. how can we together maintain the dharma in an undistorted and strong way? To me, it's also by supporting one another, appreciating that something lit your way to be right here. It's a way of honoring that. And to me, the only way to honor that is also to appreciate all the people before us. The more than 80 generations of people committed, giving their whole selves to the practice, raising their families, supporting one another, Marriages and burials, grieving together, are all places of practice. I've yet to find a place that is not a place of practice. And to me, the great vow is also to realize that we're doing this not just for ourselves but can we also create the conditions and the causes that this will continue beyond all of us? What a generosity. I'm so joyful that we are doing this together. It's amazing. Thank you. So Will end with the evening other. <laughs> and a corn. <laughs> Let me respectfully remind you life and death are of supreme importance. Time swiftly passes by and opportunities are lost. On this night, the days of our life are decreased by one. Each of us must strive to awaken, awaken, take heed, do not squander. Your life. Thank all of you here in the Zendo, the the Zoom Do, our One Do, Nighty Noops, or Good Morning in Taiwan.